Welcome into episode number 74 of the House of L podcast. Woo! So glad that you are here with me on today's episode. We're going to do uh, something I think is a little bit different on today's episode, considering our guest. I hope, I hope that when you are done with this episode, you will go to the Tom Dreesen episode because it was so great. And you're probably like, I was looking at the numbers. I'm like, not enough people listen to that episode. That's ridiculous. The stories that he told were amazing. And you need to listen to that episode. I'm just telling you right now. So when you're done with this fabulous episode, go back and listen to the last fabulous episode. All right? All right. Let me tell you about this week. Sometimes in, in our business, like, you know people because you see them out at events and you have friends in common, but you don't really know them, no. And that's one of the great things about the podcast is that I get an opportunity to, to kind of trade notes with my colleagues in the sports industry in Chicago and abroad. And it was cool because Lauren Majera and I, like, we talk, like, if we see each other out in the field and we've had a couple of text messages, and she told me that she was a fan of House of L. And she had been listening to other people kind of tell their story, and she felt like it gave them gave her a chance to get to know her colleagues better. And I thought that was a really great compliment. She's someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, especially because of the Sonics. Her voice is amazing. It is built for this platform and for radio but luckily, she is able to, to use it on television. And guess what? Part of the reason that we're talking, we have been talking about doing something for a while. But part of the reason that we're talking is that Channel 9, if you didn't know, Lauren is a sportscaster at Channel 9. She now has an outdoor show that they're going to debut on August 31st at 6 p.m. And she's very outdoorsy, as you will find out in our long-form conversation, which you were listening to right here on House of L. She hunts. She fishes. She rock climbs. She does all sorts of stuff. She's also a college gymnast, and we talk about gymnastics and all this stuff. But her show will debut on Channel 9 Saturday, August 31st at 6 p.m. So watch it. And you can see all the crazy stuff that she will go do. Like, she's an archer. Like, there's also Basically, she's MacGyver is what I'm trying to tell you. And some of her stories from winning shooting competitions to being a, a Division I gymnast, they are phenomenal. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Just know that her show is Saturday, August 31st at 6 p.m. on Channel 9. Here is my sit down with Lauren Majera. Throat's kind of sore, so I brought tons of beverages. So I don't need to talk like right up in here. Like I'm fine here, probably. Yeah, I would say you can lean back if you want. Okay, yeah. Yeah, my it's... voice just it projects. You you do project. Yeah, so I don't. A lot of times I'll like blow out a mic if I'm too close to it. Well, especially the the lavalier mics, you're gonna blow mm-hmm. those out. Yeah, for sure. I always put mine like <laughs> yes. down here. Yeah, your your voice is definitely. Gonna... <laughs> they did, always have to turn me down. Did you ever do radio? Um, a little bit. Yeah, I love radio. What what kind of radio did you do? So I interned at a radio station. It was like morning radio. So what I would do is I'd go in at like three thirty in the morning and co-host like a morning radio show. It was like. 
we'd like, do pranks and just tell funny stories and just talk and play music. And then I would go to class because I was like, had already done four years of gymnastics, but I still had a little bit of school left. So I would go to class and then I would go do TV at night. I just got burnt out because I was like anchoring till 11, 11.30 and then getting up at three to go to the radio station and going to school all day. I forgot about gymnastics with mm-hmm. you. When, when did you start? I started when I was like six years old. I did it because my older sister was doing it and I wanted to hang out with her. And uh, I ended up getting a Division One full ride and competing all four years of college. And she's still doing it. She's a Cirque du Soleil acrobat. So she's still <laughs> doing gymnastics. What, did that, was that ever a thought that crossed your mind? It- yeah, yeah. She got me a Cirque du Soleil audition. And I was like two years out of gymnastics by then. So my body was like really out of shape. I mean, I ripped out the cartilage in both my knees. Like my shoulders all torn up. I broke my neck in two places. So my body was kind of like breaking down, whereas hers isn't at all. Like she's in perfect condition. I was having a conversation with uh, my buddy Maggie Hendricks who uh, works here at the score. Love Maggie. She works for The Athletic, and she used to cover gymnastics. You know, So we ended up doing a podcast on Simone Biles, and one of the things I asked her, and I can ask you because you actually have the experience, what happens to your body after gymnastics, specifically your joints? They're totally broken down because if you think about the impact that your joints take from – so imagine like watching an uneven bars routine. You're swinging around, you're swinging around. Well, all that pressure is like in your shoulders and then you flip, 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 land. And so that's all like in your knees. And if you're not perfectly tight, your knees can buckle. That's how I ripped out the cartilage in my knees. My knees buckled on a dismount and it like shocked my whole back. And I did like a wave like coming up and it looked so bad. But I mean, think about like if you miss your foot by a quarter of an inch on the balance beam, the beam's up your bum, <laughs> you know, or if you just like miss the vault by, you know, even like a quarter of an inch, you have so much speed and so much like force going into it. It's just a total wipeout. And you rarely see wipeouts in competition because you've been training. But there are some really, really nasty wipeouts in practice. And we have a TiVo that like films your routine so that you can go back and rewind it. And your coach can say like, see here. And so we will have like all the wipeouts recorded on the TiVo, which is awesome. How many surgeries have you had? Just one, but I needed a couple more that I didn't end up getting. What do you mean you didn't you didn't get them? What, <laughs> is, what does that mean? You, 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 I needed these surgeries, but I didn't get them. So in college, the university will pay for the surgeries, but they'll do everything they can for you not to have surgery. So they'd rather pay for your physical rehab than your surgery. So if the doctor will say, like, I really think that you should have your knee scoped, They'll be like, well, let's do like four months of physical therapy first and see if we can get out of the surgery. And then when you graduate, it's like they're not going to pay for your surgeries anymore. So I just rehab and do the best I can. But I'm in a lot of pain that you just don't talk about because what are you supposed to, you know. But I mean, every single day, my knees hurt, my neck hurts every day. How did you hurt your neck? I landed on my face and I was completely arched and my whole body was like. You behind me, it. yeah, yeah. So I did um, uh, it's called a pec salto. I don't know how to explain it. It's like you're facing the low bar and you do a backflip and you are yeah. So you're on the high bar, you do a backflip and catch the low bar. And I went to go turn around and my feet just flew up and I landed on my face and my whole back kind of arched like over my body. Man, yeah. So and, so what do you do for the pain? Um, massage. Yeah. 
That's the best thing I can do. Because I'm not going to take ibuprofen every single day. It's, like, so bad for your and, liver. Yeah, it's... So, yeah, so I just get massage and deal with it. I get headaches because they're, like, tension headaches because my neck is so stiff. So, I don't know. I just don't ever talk about it. Huh. It sucks, though. It I, sucks. It sounds like it yeah. sucks real bad. Yeah, if you ever meet a gymnast, ask, like, where are you feeling pain? And they'll they'll talk about, I had this surgery or I had this. It, like, the injuries are insane. My friend tore, blew out her knee so many times that they had to rebuild her ACL with part of her hamstring. Mm-hmm. And then she tore it again. She's like, I tore my ACL again. I'm like, well, technically you tore your hamstring. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you tore that off. Yeah, yeah. So what can you still do? For gymnastics-wise? Yeah. Um, if I'm on a trampoline, I can do quite a bit. I did a story in a gymnastics gym last summer, and I was like, ooh, I got to goof around. And I was so sore the next day. I was sore in places I didn't realize I had muscles. Like the front of my neck. Like, behind my ears. Like, I thought that was just skull. It was crazy. Um, so I can still do, it's called Giants on a Bar. I can still do a double back dismount off bars. I can do, like, some cool shoulder rolls on beam. Um, on bars, let's see, what else? Some tumbling skills, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to do, like, a full and back out, but, or a double layout or, like, anything like that. Because I just want to stay safe. <laughs> I can still do, like, a double twist. But I imagine that that's if you are doing a gymnastic story, you'd be like, ah, watch this. Yeah, exactly. So my photographer was like, do you think you could still do anything? And I'm like, I'm wanting to goof around so bad. And so I asked the coach if it was okay. She's like, well, you know, as long as you have, like, health insurance and aren't going to sue us. Yeah. So I just, like, went and did some stuff. <laughs> and my photographer was like, I cannot believe you just did that. Like, that was incredible. You could do that. And I was like, well, I can try. <laughs> well, so so what else do you do to, like, stay in shape? Because you're still, like, Gymnast small. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I do like a lot of circuit training, like boot camp classes. The thing is, is like working out for me, and I think like a lot of like former athletes struggle with this, is like you take it so seriously and it's your whole life that like it's kind of like emotionally painful for me to like train because I get so competitive and I get so focused. And then it's like for what? I don't have a competition coming up. I don't have anyone to compete against. Like, I'm just working out for fun, and I have this weird mentality where I'm like, why am I pushing myself so hard? Like, why am I, like, going so hard at the gym? I'm here. I don't have a coach telling me to be here. I'm not trying to maintain my scholarship. I'm I'm not training for a competition. But it's, like, that athlete mentality where you just, like, don't know how to not push yourself to, like, the ultimate extent. I've found in talking specifically with Charles Tillman about this uh, and the guys I do the post-game show with, they're always looking for competition, though. Yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way, too? Yeah, I'm so, like, my friends joke that I'm so competitive about, like, anything. Like, yesterday I was walking into Target with my friend, and she took the escalator, and I took the stairs, and I sprinted to the top of the stairs, and I was like, how does it feel to lose? You took the escalator. She's like, you have an illness. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's probably what got you all the way here. Yeah, Be- everyone in my family is like that, too. Yeah? How, how many in your brood? So there's four kids. My older sister is a Cirque du Soleil acrobat, and then me, and then my little sister is a missionary. She lives in China. And then my little brother was a big-time football player, and um, he uh, owns his own business out in Barrington, and uh, he lives in Woodstock. So he just had a baby, too. So I'm an aunt for the first time. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get to get to show all the cool stuff yeah. and, and be the cool auntie. <laughs> Are, would you tell Would you tell a uh, girl or boy? They had a girl. They named her Kit from uh, Kit in the League of Their Own. Oh, okay. League of Their Own was like one of our favorite movies. 
Would you tell Kit to do gymnastics or to stay away? No, I would never, like, want someone that I love and really, really care about to do gymnastics. I think that it's good when you're a kid because it teaches you balance, strength. It teaches you a lot of lessons. You know, if you fall down, you get back up and you do it again. It helps you um, take critique really well. Because if you think about it, all gymnastics is is a performance that you're being judged on, Mm -hmm. which helped me in my career because I take critique so well. I take uh, judgment so well because that that's what I did my whole life growing up. And it teaches you to strive for perfection. And uh, I've I really gained a lot in this industry being a sports broadcaster, I think, from my background in gymnastics. So I think it teaches you a lot of life lessons and it teaches you, you know, body awareness, like I said, flexibility and strength. But it's not a sport that you can, like, maintain for multiple years of your life without having – major injuries or breaking down or finding a coach who's not going to abuse you um, or even just, you know, like the gymnastics coach mentality. I was lucky enough to have great coaches, but they'll scream at you, they'll throw a chair at you, grab you by the back of your neck, you know, just drive you to the point where you have eating disorders or, you know, a lot of girls get sexually abused. So I just, I don't think I would ever... Besides, like, a kid class, you know, I would say maybe, Like a tumbling class would right, be fine. Right, yeah. But to be like, oh, like, you should tra- train gymnastics and try to be, like, a national champion, like, I'd say, no, take golf. <laughs> the body image stuff in gymnastics I, mm-hmm. I, I've always found to be scary. Yeah. How, did you ever have to deal with any of that? Luckily enough, I never got um, an eating disorder. There was one time I was in college— um, so they weigh you every day, and they make you write down everything you eat, and you have a, they call it a food buddy. What? Where you have to hold each other accountable, and you have to have every meal together. Um, and they fat pinch you once a week, and if you gain weight, they do, it's called the fat bike. And when um, What's everyone's- What's the fat bike? <laughs> it's like when everyone's taking a break, you have to ride on the bike in front of your team. To, like, say, like, I'm sorry I let you down. I put on two pounds. Well, it's a shaming. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have to get on the fat bike? Oh, I was on the fat bike quite a bit. <laughs> and I was just, like, to a point where I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm so sick of being called fat. I'm going to get so skinny and show you that I can do it. And so I just, like, did everything I could. I'd get up and do extra cardio. I would do cardio in between classes. I was starving myself. And I got so skinny, that's when I blew up my knees. So my doctor at home was like, I've known you your whole life. I've been doing physical therapy with you your whole life. I've never seen you this lean. I'm afraid you're going to get injured. And I was like, well, my coach is so happy with me. And then I blew my knee out. And that's the problem is, like, you have to find this, like, happy medium of you want to be lean because you're defying gravity. But at the same time, you want to be healthy so you don't get injured. Hmm. So one of my teammates got, I mean, a lot of the girls, they get so ill, they have to go home or they have to, you know, be admitted. She thought that anything she, like, put in her mouth was going to make her fat. So she'd consider brushing her teeth a meal. She'd put water or lemon in her water and considered it a meal. But, like, sometimes she would sit with you and just, like, watch you eat and, like, pick off your plate because in her mind she wasn't, like, eating her own meal. Mm. Which is frustrating because I'm like, go get your own. Don't eat my food. These are the only calories I'm going (laughs) to have. Like, why are you taking my stuff away? Yeah, then you get really oddly, like, protective of your food and you're always thinking about it and... But, I mean, like I said, I was lucky enough where, like, I don't have those. Like, I always feel like I'm fat, but I don't know. It's just because my whole life I was so lean. 
you know. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I work out because it's fun. I eat because I love it. I see you when you're on Instagram. I see some of the, the food. I'm like, it's really healthy. <laughs> like you're not like the stuff that I put on Instagram is different. <laughs> stuff that you put on Instagram is really healthy. Yeah. And you still feel that way? You're out here oh, yeah. like traveling and eating good. <laughs> My producer like makes fun of me so much because he's like, I don't understand where you put it. Like you're always like eating donuts and potato chips and ice cream. I've never seen a girl eat as much as you. Like, I don't know where you put it. I don't get it. Well, I imagine your metabolism is through the roof. Probably, yeah. And I work out, like, almost every day. So maybe, yeah. So so here's what I I can't figure out. How in the world did you have time to be a competitive gymnast and learn all of the outdoor stuff? Yeah, I mean, you find time to do what you love, you know? Like, I'd get up at at 5 o'clock in the morning and train for, like, four and a half, five hours. And I'm in Alaska. Of course I'm going to go fishing. So, and I didn't know anything about fishing or really anything about salmon fishing or halibut fishing or anything until I moved to Alaska. Because all my outdoor stuff that I love doing around Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, like the Midwest where I grew up, is, you know, hiking, camping, just, you know, digging for worms and putting them on, like, the end of a reel and, you know, just casting into a lake and catching turtles or whatever. But, like, when I moved to Alaska, I'm like, this is something I'm so passionate about and love. I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can and try to be as good as I can at it, which is I have a problem with, like, not doing everything to the fullest extent. (laughs) That's just, like, kind of how I am. It was cool because my first job in TV – the guy that had, um, like, a, a fishing show before me had retired. And it was kind of like, you know, it was always like, do, 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 like, cheesy music. He never caught anything. And it was a big joke that the only thing, you know, carp ever caught is a cold. And so they, uh, he had retired, and they asked me if I wanted to take it over. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, if I do, I want it to be very different. I don't want to pick up where he left off. I want... To kind you want of put, it to be your own show. Right, yeah. I want to put my own rap on it. I want it to be different. I kind of want to recreate it in, like, my own taste. And they're like, yeah, I mean, this is an opportunity where we're starting fresh. It's not like you're picking up someone else's old segments. So do whatever you want with it. So I would just call uh, fishing guides around the state and say, because um, I talked to our sales department and asked how much it would cost to have a 30-second commercial on our air during, like, our primetime news. And then I would tell the fishing guides, like, look, it costs this much to have a commercial for 30 seconds. I'd like to do a two-and-a-half-minute piece with you. So will you take us out fishing, and then I'll run the package. So and they loved that because it's, it's free publicity for them, but it's really dangerous because they're like, I don't want a camera in my boat where we don't catch fish. So there's, like, this high pressure of, like, we have to catch fish. We have to put fish on camera. And we, uh, we always did, which was good. So is this part of the reason that, that Channel 9 is developing a, an outdoor show with you? Yeah, because... My agent and my news director were kind of talking about, like, different ideas that we could do with me. And my agent's like, you have this resource in Lauren that's completely untapped. No one's doing it. No one's talking about it. She, this is, she's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to anything with the outdoors. And you're, you're doing nothing with it. So, and he's like, but she's good and fun and entertaining to watch and all that stuff. And she's got all these incredible experiences and stories from being in the outdoors. Um, so they said, well, let's shoot a pilot and we'll see... How it goes. We'll see how it's received. Maybe people don't want to see a woman in the outdoors. Maybe they will. And then once the pilot airs on August 31st, then we'll kind of go from there. Is it going to be every week? Is it going to be during sweeps months? Is it going to be once a month? 
So we'll kind of go from there. It's been a lot so far. So what are you? What have you done already? Like, what have you already filmed or gone out and done? We I did a rock climbing segment, which is pretty entertaining because I'm like hanging by the tips of my fingers and climbing to the top. Um, I did a fly fishing segment, so I went down to Bourbon A and um, went fly fishing out of a rowboat, and it was super fun. I didn't realize how gorgeous it is down there. Oh, yeah. Kankakee River is a beautiful country. It's gorgeous. And the average depth of the river is eight inches. That's why they made that like a giant state park because there's nothing they could do with the river. They couldn't build any barges. They couldn't get anything through there. So that's why they made it a state park because there's nothing they could do with the river so shallow. It was so beautiful. And then I did an archery segment. I went to an archery range and shot with little kids. And then I have a bow. I haven't touched it in a couple of years. So I shot a couple of times um, on camera and had the kids teach me. And then I went on Lake Michigan and went salmon fishing. Hmm. Well, can I pitch you an idea? Yeah. You should do uh, another bow segment with Bo Jackson. <laughs> no, I, I, it's not just because his name is Bo. Right. Does he shoot? Yes. He's like what? really good. With That's a bow incredible. And I and did I, not know that. And I want to say he actually has done some teaching. So, there's my pitch okay. for an idea for the show. I love it. I yeah. want an executive producer credit uh, <laughs> for that. Credit um, <laughs> But I think eventually, like, I want to move into, like, doing things with professional athletes. Remember Willie Young with the Bears? Fly fisher. Huge fisherman. Yeah. Yeah, him and I got started talking fishing once, and we were talking. 45 minutes later, he's like, do you want to go fishing with me sometime? I'm like, yeah, can I break a camera? Like, that would be gold. Yeah, you could do fun. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of the guys here do stuff like that, mm-hmm. and we have no idea. Exactly. Because no one's really broached the subject with right. them. You're a good shot, too, right? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Aren't you, like, a championship shooter? <laughs> like, why are you not talking about this right now? I've done a bunch of different kinds of shooting, but I've been in um, an M1 Grand military-style rifle competition. So an M1 Garand is the gun that they had in, like, World War II. It's an antique. It's a really difficult gun to manage um, and to shoot. And I was, like, in a competition. I won first lady. And I think out of, like, 35 men, I took sixth. When you say manage, what do you mean? Well, the it's, it's not like my shotgun where, um, you know, you can – it's a pump action. You know, you can open the action. It's really easy. It's fluid. Uh, and I'm on Grand is is really difficult. It's it's really tight. Um, when you stick in like the clip of bullets that you use, it, it jams up your fingers. You get pinched. Um, it's heavy. Everything that you do, even like pushing in the safety, is difficult because it's it's old. It's an antique, and they didn't make them the way that they do today. And I every time I shoot it or watch Band of Brothers, I'm like, I don't know how they're using this gun to survive. Because it's a difficult gun to use anyway. So that's why the competition was fun. Because you shoot um, uh, from your feet. And then you shoot kind of like Indian style. And then you lay in your stomach. And it's called prone. And so it's based on time and accuracy combined. Well, how old were you when you started to shoot? Oh, gosh. Probably like 18. Okay. Yeah. Like, I didn't grow up around, like, guns. Well, that's what fishing. I was trying yeah. That's what I was trying to figure out because I was like, wait a minute. Like, mm-hmm. when in the world would she have had time as she's flipping around the universe <laughs> to, to then go out and become, you know, someone who's uh, capable with, yeah. with a shotgun? Like, that. Yeah. I, I was trying to figure out how your day went. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in my mind, I'm imagining, 
you being at gymnastics and be like, all right, girls, I'll see you later. Going home. Putting on my camo and going in the woods. Right. (laughs) And then you're in a tree blind for -hmm. for the rest of the day. And like, when did she have time to do anything else? I guess I picked it up when I was done with gymnastics. Now that I think about it, I probably needed something to really channel my time and energy into and focus. And because it's not like, I think people are so like misled when it comes to hunting and fishing. It's not like, oh, I would like to go hunting. You sit in the woods and you shoot a turkey. No, you have to like scout the land. I mean, you have to get all your permits, your license. If you if you want to go turkey hunting, you have to do a learn-to-hunt program, which is like six weeks. You have to make sure that you find land, so you're talking to landowners, and then you're setting up the blind, and then you're scouting where the birds are and what time they're coming down from their roost and what time of the day they're moving. And then you're sitting in the blind all day, or you're running and gunning. So you're moving, 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 like leaned up against a tree, hoping the birds come in. Um, or you're just laying somewhere on your stomach waiting for them to walk up. <laughs> so it, it takes so much time and effort and energy. You have to love it, and you have to have a passion for it to be able to be successful at it. What was, what's been your, your most favorite hunting trip that you've gone on? Oh, gosh, probably when I shot my eight-point buck, just because that's, like, big game. Turkey hunting, I think, is my favorite kind of hunting to do, or pheasant hunting, but... My favorite hunt was when I shot my eight-point buck. Where was this at? I was in Wisconsin in this, like, beautiful spot in the woods. And um, we're group hunting. So we have radios, and we kind of are communicating with each other. It's a hunting party. And we all support each other in a hunt. And um, we had been radioed that the—it was during the rucks. It's, like, opening day of a gun hunt season. And um, that there was a a buck chasing a doe over toward us. So we got out of the blind— and sure enough, I saw it. And they're so far, you, you don't know which one to shoot. But then you have to remind yourself, okay, always shoot the one in the back because the bucks chase the does. So then I shot the one in the back and he dropped. And I went up there. I couldn't believe how beautiful he was. So I had, um, and I, I, you know, believe in full ethics when it comes to anything hunting. And I harvest everything that I shoot or catch. Or I catch and release when I'm fishing. But So I had um, a gorgeous mount made of his head. I made a coat rack out of his hooves. So I went to my favorite stretch of the Wisconsin River where I caught my favorite fish and I found a piece of driftwood and I brought it to my taxidermist. And I was like, okay, I want this driftwood to be the mount and I want the hooves kind of mounted like this and I want a coat rack with his hooves. Not many people have can utter the phrase, my taxidermist. <laughs> my girlfriends make so much fun of me. They're like, who are you? You have a taxidermist. You have a gunsmith. <laughs> like, You know all these random old men because you hunt on their land. I'm like, yeah, I make friends with them. They allow me to hunt on their land. So I bring them beer or pizza or whatever. What's, what's your most proficient weapon? Oh, proficient. Are you, are you best with the bow? Are you best with your shotgun? Are you best with the— Probably the I'm one grand. Really? Even because, though it's so yeah, difficult? Because I spent so much time training, so much time with it. Even when I wasn't at the range, I would—what um, I would do is I'd get, like, a piece of tape and put it on the wall, and it's called a dry fire, where there, it's not loaded, and you just— pull the trigger, and you see where you're dropping, right, left, up, down. So even when I'm just sitting at home, I'm still practicing. And, I mean, I, you, I can't even begin to tell how much time I put into training for this competition. My friends are like, you don't win anything. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I win if I win. Like, to me, that's winning. Like, yeah. I, 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 you don't you, have to give me a, I won. Yeah, there's no prize money. There's no trophy. There's no bragging rights. It's just me. Like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to a full extent. 
I'm going to do it with passion. I'm going to do it like with a smile on my face. And I'm going to win. And it's going to feel good for me. I had a conversation <laughs> with Corey Cogdale about mm-hmm. shooting. Right. Uh, and she was, at the time, she was transitioning from being left-eye dominant to right-eye right. dominant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed by by the entire conversation. Do you Are you neutral or are you one... So this is strange. So I am, I do some things righty and some things lefty. I'm not ambidextrous where I can do both. I write with my right hand. Um, I hit baseball and golf righty, but I'm a lefty gymnast. I did everything in gymnastics lefty. Like I ride a snowboard, a longboard, a wakeboard lefty. I've never like, okay. Is it that bizarre? Explain to me what a left-handed gymnast is. So you twist left. So if you're like, imagine like doing a cartwheel. Okay. Do, okay, so most people, if you're a righty, you'll start with a your uh, in a lunge with your right foot in front. I do a lefty cartwheel, and I twist left. So you pirouette. So if you're in a handstand and you're pirouetting, I pirouette left, and I do everything, like, lefty, yeah. And you twist. So when you're doing backflip with, like, your twists, I twist left. Okay, so a bow or a shotgun. I'm righty because I write with my right hand, and so you want – but this is what's messed up. I had to train myself to be able to be a better shot because I'm left eye dominant when it comes to shooting because I naturally want to close my right eye. But since I'm shooting righty, you know, you kind of have to close your left eye a little bit. And you're not supposed to close your eyes. You're supposed to keep them open. But you kind of do it first to, like, line it up and make sure you're in a good spot. So so what way, if you were, and I mean, you can use me as an example mm-hmm. since I, I was gifted a shotgun over Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to go shooting. Yeah, I know. I haven't really, other than when it was gifted to me, I haven't shot it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, we went out and we shot clay. Okay. And I actually, I was shocked that I did well. Yeah. Because I've never. you surprise yourself. I've never shot a shotgun before. Yeah. And at one point I hit seven in a row. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, yeah, that I is was, good. I was very impressed. But I did find that when I was shooting that I, the same thing. Mm-hmm. I found that I was closing my right eye. Yeah. And I look. I felt better doing it, mm-hmm. closing my right eye. And I'm not sure whether or not I should try to keep both eyes open, or if I should just stick with that. Yeah. So you at first you kind of close whatever I, whatever eye feels natural to close, and you're probably left eye dominant too, if that felt more natural to you. But you really are supposed to keep both eyes open. Okay. Because if you like, put your finger in front of your face, close your left eye, close your right eye, close your left eye, close your. The finger moves a little bit. Oh yeah. So that's what it does with the uh, the, the sight. sight. Yeah. So it actually moves it a little bit. So you'll miss more if one eye is closed, even though that feels natural. Huh. But I feel like people think that they wouldn't be interested in it or it wouldn't be fun. But if you do it, it's fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be one of those things that I would necessarily uh, find myself drawn to. But right. I now I'm like okay. I I don't know if I would ever go hunting. Right. But. Being out there with my father-in-law mm-hmm. and and shooting around with him and then finding out that my wife's a really good shot, <laughs> uh, sexy because she because she grew up around it. So right, yeah, uh, it, it was it was a, a, is an interesting experience mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be as fun as it was, and, right. and now I'm like, okay, yeah, let's exactly. If you just do it, I um I had a girlfriend when I was living in Wisconsin that I thought might enjoy it. And she had never done anything. And so I tricked her and I told her that we were going up north because there was um, a, a concert. And we get to the cabin. I'm like, go to bed. We have to get up at four in the morning. We're going hunting. What was the and concert tricked that her. you tricked her? I, tr- I made up some country music concert. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I was like, it's going to be awesome. I like follow these guys on Instagram. Like I listen to some of their music. It's so good. She's like, okay, I'll go with you. We got there and I had gave her a blaze orange vest. And I'm like, I brought you everything that you're going to need. We're going to go hike and sit in the woods all day tomorrow. She's like, it's supposed to snow tonight. And I was like, don't worry. I brought all the gear. And she loved it. You and are now, scandalous <laughs> now, for that. She'll send me pictures of like bass she's caught or she goes pheasant hunting. And she's like, I love it now. And I never, ever would have tried it if I didn't just get outside. I love that. That that's, <laughs> I, I would have been mad at you if you had done she that to me. She was so mad because she's like, it's supposed to snow tonight. What do you mean we're going to sit outside all day tomorrow? And I'm like, don't worry. I brought enough outdoor gear. I know how to dress to stay warm. I brought everything you're going to need. It's going to be fine. And she's like, this is, like, she couldn't believe it. She was so mad. But then afterwards, she's like, that was so fun. We should call Cassie and tell her to come. I'm like, yeah, right. So we did the same thing. We told her the concert was amazing. And then she's going to come for the second night that they play. Oh, man. <laughs> I'd be so mad She was not as pleased. She didn't even end up coming with us because she oh, was so mad. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for, for Cassie. That's too bad. Uh, that's funny. When did you decide that you wanted to make sports a, a career? I mean, I think it was a no-brainer to me. I, I, like, what was I going to do? Weather? I'm not a scientist. I, you know, I did news for a little bit, and it was just depressing. Very. I have a lot of respect for for news reporters right. because I don't know how they do it. I don't every know. Day. The majority of them don't have PTSD. Yeah. From the way that they're treated, knocking on a door and talking about someone's child just dying. Like, I think I would just carry that. It's too heavy for me. But in sports, I'm around motivated individuals who goal set, who um, win championships, or there are these amazing stories about losses and triumphs and returns and Cinderella stories and coming back from an injury or um, you're every day someone's winning, you know, and if you're not winning, then it's like, all right, how do we reset? How do we regroup? How do we get to be a winner again? And I just think it's so motivating to base my career around people who are motivated to win. There's something like so inspirational and powerful about it. I just think it's contagious. I love it. Where? What markets did you start out in? Anchorage, Alaska, which sports there is outdoor. dog sled racing. So, I mean, I covered the Iditarod, which means we hire a bush plane pilot. And because the Iditarod, there's no road system on the Iditarod Trail because it's through the wilderness. So my station hired a bush plane pilot, and we would fly to all the different stops. And we'd land, and they're like, yeah, it's about 40 below zero, so when you step out, don't breathe in too hard. Like, let your body adjust to it. I have, like, frost on my eyelashes. And then we'd have to sleep, like, in a barn because there's no hotels. (laughs) Whoa. It was crazy. And the race is, like, two weeks long. I mean, it was – you wouldn't believe some of the stories that come out of the Iditarod. One musher, he was going through a part of the pass called the Buffalo Tunnels. And um, he fell asleep a little bit and just fell off his sled. But his feet were strapped in, and his dogs drug him through this tunnel, broke all of his ribs, dislocated both of his shoulders, busted open his head, and his dogs drug him through, like, this whole tunnel. Um, A bear will come out of nowhere. A moose will charge. It's insane. Whoa. I've been stalked by a bear one time, and it was terrifying. So what are you supposed to do? We shot um, a gun over its head to scare it, to spook it. So I think that we we were hiking to this cliff, and we were going to hike out there for a couple of days. We think that we might have gotten, like, too close to its cub because she was pretty aggressive. And then she was following us, so she was stalking us, and she wouldn't stop, and she wouldn't leave us alone. And so we shot over its head. Did you make her. the shot? Um, no, I didn't shoot it. My friend had the gun, yeah, and it was just a handgun, too. It's It's meant just 
you know, for safety, for protection in case it's not like we were going out to shoot anything. So but I was really grateful we had it. Anchorage to where? To Wausau, Wisconsin. So I had a hunting and fishing show there as well, which is interesting. Um, and then I went to Green Bay. I worked for the Packers. Uh, and then WGM. The outdoor show I had in, Gre- or in Wausau is so funny because they're, they're just the craziest stories that would come out because I was an MMJ, so I one-man banded. But with an outdoor show, it's difficult because how do you film yourself fishing and hunting so I would I would get creative and do different things with like a GoPro where I'd bring a tripod and put it in the stand or, you know, I'd tell my fishing guide or whoever boat I'm in, you know, if I hook into a fish, pick up this camera and just start shooting. But um, and so people would come up with all these really fun and creative ideas of things that I could do for the show. And I got an email one time and that said, um, you know, we're bear hunters. Um, we don't have a tag this year, but you have to keep up with training your dogs because if you do get a tag, you want your dogs to be trained and ready for the bear hunt. So he said, I thought it might be kind of interesting for you to do a segment on how we train these dogs. And so I was like, yeah, that's awesome. So they said, all right, we go fill the bear bait um, before the sun comes up. And then, you know, we train the dogs to hunt like at sunrise. So meet us at uh, just outside this bar at like 3 in the morning because you can leave your car there. They won't tow it or anything. It's a safe place to leave your car. And then you'll hop in the truck with us and then we'll go in the woods. And I didn't think twice. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So, you know, they pull up, and I get out of the car, I get in their truck, and we're driving, 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 and I'm realizing I just willingly left my car in a public place, got in a car full of men in camo with guns, it's dark out, and I don't have any cell service. I'm like, so this is how I die. I willingly, (laughs) it was so easy to get me in their car and drive willingly into the woods. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I was like wow that it, was not that difficult at all promise me a good bear hunt and that's how I die this is like literally <laughs> like a plot of a of a movie where you're like oh let's go on the bear hunt and it, it's uh, the I'm like wow I willingly got in this truck knowing that we're driving into the woods they're full they're head to toe camo and there's like five guns in the car the world's most dangerous <laughs> game right like exactly. that's uh, that, that's what you're doing yeah. So when after dealing with all of that, finding out that you were gonna come home, oh, yeah, how good did that feel? I melted into the floor and just cried. It didn't feel real. I like didn't want to be happy about it because it didn't feel like it was real. It almost felt like I was setting myself up for failure to like think to accept that I had gotten it, that they were gonna give me that opportunity. It was when, crazy. When did it feel real? I think um, when I started to be on the air. So even when I started, it's almost like, you know, when you graduate college, you're like, I don't believe I actually graduated until I get my diploma, you know, that it didn't feel like I felt like even though I was like in training and I was still covering stories and going out and learning the computer system and getting my email and stuff, I, I just felt like maybe they'll take it back. Maybe they'll get virus remorse. Maybe they really won't like let me have this job. And then so when I started to be on the air and they started introducing me and they started building promos saying, you know, welcome, Lauren, this is who she is. And that's when it started to feel real a little bit. And I was like, wow. And I think the first time I ever tagged out at Wrigley Field, I said, you know, reporting, uh, reporting live from Wrigley Field, I'm Laura Majera, WGN-TV. 
I started crying as soon as I tagged up. I'm like, I can't believe this is real. I'm so happy. This is amazing. Man, those three letters mean a lot. Yeah. You know, the, the to be able to say WGN mm-hmm. Sports yeah. is a... Legendary it's station. It's a big deal. And I grew up watching WGN. I had to stop myself from, like, running up to Steve Sanders and being like, oh, my God, you were my favorite when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time I saw a WGN news van, and I was like, Mom, hit the gas. Let's go see who's in the driver's seat or who's in the passenger seat. And we pulled up, and it was Steve Sanders in the passenger seat. And I was like, waving, waving. I'm like, he's real. He's a real person. <laughs> Can you imagine what that's like for some young lady that's watching you now? Oh, gosh. I don't know. That sees you out at Wrigley Field <laughs> or at Soldier Field and is like, I want to be her Wow! when I grow yeah. up. I don't know. I can't imagine that. No? No. I said, don't be me. Be better. <laughs> well, right. Well, we always try to tell yeah. them to to be better for, yeah. for sure. So you were star- starstruck by Steve Sanders. Mm-hmm. Who else? Um, Dan Roan. And I didn't want to, like, fangirl, you know, because I was at work. But... It, it was pretty cool to me. And it was weird to, like, have a conversation with him because he's been talking to me for so many years through my TV. Mm-hmm. And then to have him, like, listen to something I had to say and respond to something I said, I was like, whoa, this feels so surreal. But I love that guy. He's the best, man. Yeah. He's so chill. And he's so funny. Like, I don't think people realize how funny he is. You, he He's such a great writer. Oh. It's so natural because he writes like mind. he talks. Which Correct. It sounds like, well, isn't that how you always write? No, I, I could get so wordy and then I'll write things that I would never say. And like, it's so much more difficult than people think. I, I adore him. I interned yeah. for him and I interned for Rich King. Mm. And the, it was, I did it for, I worked there for a year as an intern and then they hired me as a part time producer in the sports department. And I, I loved every minute yeah. that I worked there. Yeah. That place is very special. Yeah, it's it's weird. I'm not I'm not trying to say anything against other shops in town. It's right, just, there's something about that place that it may be because it is like isolated. Yeah, because <laughs> we're out in North Center by Lane Tech High School. You know, I just remember when I started, I was like, wow, I wonder when the gloves are gonna come off. You know, I wonder when I'm really gonna get to see what people are like. <laughs> and they and I just couldn't figure out like why is this place so chill. Why is everyone just like, all right, easy going? And this is Dan's theory. He said because we were the only station in town that only had a 9 o'clock newscast, there was, like, no pressure. That's an interesting theory. Right. He's like, you know, we didn't have some of the early shows. Like, everybody else said, you're fighting against Deadline. You're competing with all the other stations, you know, CBS and ABC and Fox. And they're all fighting against each other. He's like, with us, it's like, you know, we're just WGN and... We only have a 9 o'clock news, and that's it. I, I also feel like Jen lets everyone be. Yeah, she really does. Cause really does. Clearly the morning show. Like, yeah. You walk into that, and it's just like, oh, you guys are super laid back. <laughs> like, for real, for real. Like, Yeah. And, and it's weird for me because I went to high school with Ben Bradley. Oh, Ben's hilarious. He's a nut and he's job. so smart. He's been this dude since he was 14. <laughs> I can, like, imagine 14-year-old Ben Bradley. It's the same guy. Uh, and Lourdes yeah. and I went to college together. Right, yeah. I was her RA. 
Whoa! I can't imagine she ever got in trouble. She's no, like, she's like she's so she's the perfect resident. Exactly. It, it was she she yeah. again. She is who she was. <laughs> yeah. And Ben is who he was, which is uh, a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I say that because he's one of my best friends, yeah. and I've known him for thirty years. But a I nightmare. feel like he always has like a mischievous look in his face. That, <laughs> like you, you don't. Have, <laughs> you like, have nailed it because that is exactly who he's been for a really, really, really long time. So, funny like he'll walk by i'm like what are you up to yeah. like you know he's up to something that's an excellent question for ben and you should always have it in the back of your mind <laughs> exactly. when you are around yeah. him all right yeah for sure so you said you you cried when you, you had that first like sign off mm. has there been any other story that you've done in town that is that has touched you to that degree um when addison russell was suspended um i had reached out to melissa on instagram and um, I said, I can imagine that, you know, everyone's wanting an interview with you. Um, but I'd like to ask your permission to please come down to Florida with a camera. And I, I just want to only tell your story. Um, I was in a, an emotionally abusive marriage. And so I can't imagine how difficult it is to talk about abuse to a camera. But I think it's important that Chicago hears your side of the story. I want to give you a voice. Would, would you be open to that? And she was a little hesitant, but she said, um, I don't know why, but I feel like I can trust you. And that meant so much to me because, and Nikki Delmonico told me that once too. I, I told his story about his um, struggles with abuse of uh, Adderall and how he was like suspended from the league and blah, blah, blah. He told me his whole story and he was like, I don't really like to talk about this story a lot because I don't always trust that it will be told the right way, but I feel like I can trust you. So thank you for making me feel safe telling my story. And as a journalist... Man, that's the best compliment you can get, you know, to have your subject share painful things about themselves, but trusting you to tell their story right. So that meant a lot to me. Was it difficult having been in an abusive relationship yourself to do that interview? Because I imagine there were probably some triggers. Yeah. So I had double checked with Jen. Are you sure you want me to do this? I'm I'm worried that. I, I want to be unbiased, you know, and I, I want I just don't want to insert like any of my feelings about anything into the story. And she said, no, I don't think that you will. I, I think you're going to do a good job. Plus, I'm going to send a producer with you to make sure that everything is going the way that it should be going. So you're not alone. We're not throwing you to the wolves. It's not like you've got to just pull this off. Like we're a team. We'll do it together. So, um, yeah, it did trigger me quite a bit. I think it was like the same month that my annulment had been final as well. So. Wow. It was painful, but I knew it was important. It was really important, I think, for her story to be told. And it didn't go the way I thought it would, but that's what it is with journalism, you know. If it goes the way you want it to, then is it as authentic as it should have been? I don't know. Maybe. It's an excellent question. Let me ask you this. I always ask for, when I have people on the podcast, for them to give advice. What's something? What's a lesson that you learned that you want to share? Hmm. maybe to be over-prepared because you're going to need every bit of that preparation. I think I used to, early in my career, just go to work. And just going to work on time isn't going to cut it. You should have already been listening to the radio all morning, read the newspaper, looked up uh, what's going on on Twitter, um, read articles online, have Sports Center out in the background, or local news station, 
know what's going on before. Don't if you walk into work on time, that's that's not going to cut it. You're already behind. And I think I had to learn that the hard way because I would walk in and you know you know how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. Like there's breaking news or I feel like you're already behind you're if playing you just showed up, up on time. Yeah. For sure. So I think I underestimated how much preparation this industry demands. Like if I have a pregame show for the White Sox, it's not like I have to be able to talk about the White Sox for 30 minutes. No, I've got to be able to talk about their opponent as well. And it's difficult to know other teams as well as you know your own team. But if I'm hosting a pregame show, like I better know everything about the other team as well. That's good advice. That's super good advice. Okay. The show's going to launch August 31st? August 31st at 6 o'clock, yeah. It's called Destination Outdoors with Lauren Majera. I'm really excited for you. Thanks. Me too. I mean, for, I just, for Channel 9, to, they're building you a show. I know. I know. I feel, I. At first, I was really scared and felt a lot of pressure. And one of my producers was like, man, I've never seen you act like this. Like, you're usually pretty confident. And I'm like, I just want people to like it. You know, what if this and what if... He's like, what if nothing, Lauren? Be yourself. You didn't get handed this job. You know, you earned it. And stand on that a little bit more. And I thought that that was really nice of him to say and share with me because it did give me like, yeah, you're right. Okay. I'm just going to go out there and be myself. And people, I want feedback too. Like I want people to watch it and let me know what they think. Well, I plan on watching it and letting you know what I think. Cool. I'm glad that we got the chance to sit down because we see each other. Yeah. But we haven't had a chance to like get to know each other. Yeah. So I'm glad that we were able (laughs) to do this. Me too. Thank you for having me. And I I want you to come be on the radio show. I would love that. All right. I would love that. Yeah, because I listen to your podcast all the time. And I'm like, man, that's like really cool if you want to be on. Thanks. Yeah. You're one of the people. And plus, you, I mean- from a sonic standpoint, like I'm really into what things sound like. <laughs> like you sound good. Like this is going to be one of the the best sounding pods that we've had. Oh god. Because of your voice. So <laughs> I got to get you on the radio show too because Thanks. I think that our voices together will sound yeah. will sound like a good thing. Well, good luck. Thank you. And, and I'm hoping that uh we can have you back on the podcast at some point. I would love that. Especially after you get some of the feedback for the yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks. Thank you for for being on the show. Thanks. Anytime. Isn't she interesting? My goodness. We were pressed a little bit for time, but I could have talked to her forever. And I'm definitely going to bring her back to the podcast and get her on the radio show. Because her voice is amazing. Like the signings of it, it just sounds really, really good. She was joking about it, but... It's it's a it's a really good radio voice, and her story is really interesting. Like living in Alaska, the whole nine yards, her journey to get to Chicago, come back home, cool stuff. So I'm glad that she was able and watch her show Saturday, August 31st at 6 p.m. Now it's time for your emails. Oh, you guys are back emailing, which is great. House of L podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the podcast. It's appreciated. It's good content. I like uh, hearing from you guys. This is from, oh, it looks like a, a Joey Bag of Donuts type dude. Oh, Tony Bag of Donuts. All right, good. Tony says, hey, Lawrence, I really enjoy the episode with Mr. Harvey. That's right, Tom Dreesen. I remember him frequently, frequently being on Ro Khan's show back in the day. I don't know about the Rat Pack connection or the comedy store. I didn't know about that. And that's why I'm writing. It's kind of disappointing that with all the new love for the comedy store over the past years, 
no one is giving Tom the credit that he deserves. Well, let me stop you there for a second, Tony. Um, I know that that he is getting a ton of credit for the comedy store in the comedy community. Mark Marin um, had him on too, and they they talked for almost an hour about specifically the stuff at the comedy store. So trust me, his credit is out there. But I do appreciate that you were you were able to hear it. He he's uh, played a huge role, a huge role in in developing that. So the realize that the comedians do give him credit. I was trying to make it a little bit more public because I think it's a part of his story that a lot of people don't know. And it's it's a it, you you couldn't ask for a better guy to be a a better spokesman for the rights of workers. So hearing him talk about that, my parents were union teachers. My wife is a union social worker. So I'm all for it. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that you heard it and you heard him talking about all the stuff and you enjoyed the episode. But but real talk, like all the comedians kind of bow down to Tom Dreesen because without him at the comedy store back in those days, guys were not getting paid. Because Mitzi Shore said it was an, an art form. They're artists, and artists don't deserve to be paid. Can you believe that? And now I believe Eddie Murphy's going to get $70 million from Netflix. We'll see. But thank you. Thank you for reaching out, man. I'm glad that you enjoyed the episode. This one from Justin. Lawrence, I love your podcast and listen to it on the road all the time. Your interview with Tom Dreesen was an all-timer. I could listen to him tell stories for days. Reminded me of the importance of taking time to speak with older folks and absorb wisdom from them as much as you can. Just told my seven-year-old daughter to soak up her time with her great-grandma for this very reason. Two suggestions for future guests. Would love to hear Dan Durkin as a phenomenal writer and football guy. Another guy is Brian Baldinger. His breakdowns on Twitter on football schemes are fantastic. If you haven't seen them before, I think he would be a fun interview. Keep up the great work. For Baldinger, yeah, I actually spent a lot of time. I used a, a big segment that he did on the Eagles offense, which is similar but not the same to the Bears offense on the air. I thought that was terrific. So, yeah, he, I would put, I'll put him on the list. The, the problem is I, I prefer to have people in studio, and Baldy is on the road quite a bit. But if there's a way that we can link up and do something in Chicago, that would be great. Or if they want to invite me to, to NFL Films, I'd, I'd do it there. As for Dan Durkin, really good suggestion. He's he's an interesting cat, so he has a lot of interest outside of football, too. So that's not a bad suggestion for me to talk with, with Dan Durkin. As to your point, it is interesting to hear stories about how things were from older people and gain some perspective. I'm getting that now as an old-ish person with my students. My students ask me about the industry, and they want to know stuff. So I try to tell them as much as I can, and I try to tailor it so that it, it's something that they might be able to use in their day-to-day lives as students or as future media members. So, yeah, you can, you can glean some wisdom off of people just by talking to them. And that, that sit-down with Tom Dreesen, man, I agree. It was an, it, it was an all-timer. It was one of the best episodes of this podcast.
He was amazing. And that's why I want more people to go listen to it. Because you'd be shocked at, at some of the stuff that that man has been through. And if you don't know about Tom Dreesen, like, start off with my podcast, but then work your way backwards and look at some of the YouTubes. This guy was there with the king of kings in, in entertainment. And he learned a lot. And he can share a lot. So thanks. And thanks for emailing. And again, if you would like to email this podcast with a guest suggestion or you had a reaction to one of the guests that we've had on, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. I'll say it one more time. Houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. I've also made a decision. You might not like this, but I'm going to keep doing my Bears podcast, but I'm going to move the Bears podcast to Loho Daily. So if you're not subscribed to Loho Daily, I would like for you very much to subscribe to Loho Daily. Just go. Maybe I'll do a maybe I'll do a uh, so that I can bridge you over. Maybe I'll I'll put game one on House of L and Loho Daily. But just know that my Bears breakdowns like immediately after the game are going to live on Loho Daily. So download the Radio.com app. Or if you're a subscriber, it lives in a lot of places. Just look for it. L-O-H-O Daily. Listen, I got amazing, like, more sportsy content over there. There's a lot of episodes that you probably haven't heard. Go listen to some of those because they're really fun and good. But the football ones are going to live on Loho Daily. So just know that. Appreciate you listening. It's a change. But you're smart. You found this podcast. You can find the other one. That's right. I do like three different podcasts, and I appreciate your support on all three of them. The football ones are going over to Loho Daily. So subscribe and rate and give us five stars. Give us five stars on this one, too, because we need it. Because of the algorithm, that's how we get better placement. More people can listen and all that good stuff. We're closing in on 300,000 downloads, and that's all because of you. It's appreciated. Talk to you next week. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.